Hello, hello, hello. Welcome again to another episode of Lati Talks. This is your host, Thomas Belcher, missionary to the U.S. Territory of Guam. It, like I always say, it's a blessing to be with you guys here today, especially on this Word Wednesday, as we get to see what God has for us in His Word today. Now, we're going to be doing something that we have not done before, and that is uh, we're going to be doing a, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a Bible study every Wednesday. And we're going to be starting off in the book of Romans. I've been reading this book lately, doing some more studying into this book. And it always amazes me about the the power inside the book of Romans and just how, how common sense it is. It was common sense back when Paul wrote it, and it's common sense even now. And uh, it's it's got a lot of things that apply to modern culture and modern society and I believe that it, it would be very, it is very important for us Christians to study this and to look at it and apply it to our everyday lives. Now, the book of Romans was, of course, written by Paul, and um, as it is stated in the first couple of verses. And, but this one is different in Paul's writings as that he is, as, as that he is not here in Romans. It's a letter to the Romans, but he's writing it in Corinth. He hasn't even been to Rome yet, as we read in the chapter. Uh, but he's at Corinth at this current time, and he is trying to help all the other churches out that he has been to. Um, the uh, There's a lot of debate as to the... Roman Church, but um, some believe that the founding of the Roman Church likely goes back to uh, the quote the to the Jew first and also to the Greek who came to Jerusalem at Pentecost. Many of these visitors converted to Christianity in Acts two forty one. Some of whom very likely hailed from Rome in Acts eighteen two. Luke mentioned Aquila and Priscilla who left Rome because Emperor Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave the city in A.D. 49. This exodus was caused by strife among Jews over, over Christus, uh, Christ. The remaining Christians in Rome would be from a Gentile background. The Jewish-Gentile tensions in Rome had a long history. These tensions are somewhat reflected throughout the letter of Romans, but most specifically in chapters 2, 11, 14, and 15. Rome was the primary destination of this letter, of course, yet some manuscripts lacked the phrase in Rome, giving some support to the conclusion that Paul intended a wider audience for the book of Romans and sent copies to the other churches. I, I'm, I'm part of the camp that kind of believes that, that it wasn't just meant for the Romans, but for other people as well. And you can kind of tell that throughout the entire book, because he is not just addressing the Romans, a lot of what the Romans are believing, what the Rome, Roman church is believing, is stuff that is today, that is still around today. And I do apologize if you can hear my, uh, uh, some screaming in the background. That's my two-year-old son. He, uh, he, that's just him saying amen. So I do apologize if you can hear that. But it is very important. The uh, Paul writes, and he writes in such a way, and honestly why he's one of my favorite people in the Bible, he writes in such a way that it doesn't just apply to the church that he's writing to at that time, but applies to everyone else as well. Because here in this book, we actually see arguments that are against uh, the Roman Catholic Church. You could actually dispute the entire ideology of the Roman Catholic Church with this one book right here. 
because it's always been problems that have risen throughout history with belief. Now, we're going to split up the, uh, we're going to start in Romans chapter 1 today, and we can split up Romans chapter 1 into four different parts, and we will start with verses 1 through 15, could be split up into Paul's greeting slash desire. Uh, we'll go ahead, if you're able to, turn with me in your Bibles over to Romans chapter 1, and we'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 15 right now. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may, to the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit am among you also, even as among other Gentiles." I am bo I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Here in this first part, first part of chapter 1, we see Paul's desire to go to the Roman church and preach. We see that uh, the Roman church has been, they've got a reputation. They've got a reputation for their faith and uh, for the reputation throughout the whole world, of course. Uh, a church that was directly under the nose of the Roman Empire. This was, this was not just this wasn't just your regular church. This was a big deal, and the reason behind that is because it was right under the nose of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the one per persecuting the Christians at this time, and they had a whole church. They had their own people believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a huge deal at the time. And so these guys, these these Christians here in Rome, have a major reputation, and they have a major reputation for the faith that they have, because, hey, you would need that kind of faith if you're going to live in a country where you're going to be persecuted. There are missionaries right now that are in countries all across the world where they will persecute and murder them, and where the government will persecute and murder them if said missionary is caught. And those missionaries, I've met a few of them, I tell you what, they've got more faith They've got more faith than the average Christian. They've got more faith than the average missionary. Why? Because they have to have it. They have to have that level of faith in order to 
survive in their field. And that's what the Roman church here is like. And Paul wants to go to them, wants to help them out, wants to preach the gospel even further. He's wanting to go to Rome to help them. And we can see that in the first part of his verse, with in the first part of this chapter, with Paul's greetings slash his desire. And he he's excited about it. He wants to preach not just to the Jews, but to the Greeks, to the barbarians. He, he wants to get, get the gospel to everyone. We see again Paul's desire to spread the gospel to it didn't matter who, didn't matter where they were. He just wanted to get the gospel out to, uh, to whoever, wherever. And that is because the gospel is for every creature. Uh, there's quite a bit that you can go into that right there about... Um, anti-Calvinism, which I'm an anti-Calvinist. I don't believe Calvinism is correct. I believe it's wrong. I believe it's heretical. But, and Paul here, if you study Paul's life, proves that Calvinism itself is a heretical doctrine. But Paul wants to get the, get the gospel out as much as he possibly can. Verses 16 through 17, uh, these two verses here, we see him talk, we see Paul talking about living by faith. Uh, once again, building off of the reputation that the Roman Church has, because they, because of their persecution that they're under, they have a huge reputation for having faith among the ancient uh, Christian Church. And so Paul starts talking about that in verses 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And Greek first off, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Once again, there you go, Paul. Uh, Paul, right there, that's an anti-Calvinist verse, right there. To everyone that believeth, it means that everyone can believe. It means that everyone can be saved. Uh, like I said earlier, there's verses in the Scripture that very much apply to modern-day situations and modern-day beliefs, and this is one of them. This is one of those verses that very much applies to a modern-day belief, and that just goes to the principle that there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. Mankind's mentality is still the same. We're still sinners. There's, technology may change, but man's heart never will. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith." He's saying here that if we live by faith, our, the righteousness will be, uh, will be revealed. The just shall live by faith. So if we're just, we're going to live by faith. We're going to live by this faith. Now, the third part of this chapter uh, in verses 18 through 25, he gets into something that is very, very deep. And it may not seem deep on the outside, but I was reading this earlier, and honestly, this is the cause for a lot of things today, in today's society, and that is uh, verses 18 through 25. He goes over the cause of ungodliness. We'll go ahead and read that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So, in this part of the scripture, we see that there's ungodliness, there's unrighteousness, and uh, it it's all over the place. The whole world, we're born into a sinful world, and that's what he's talking about here, is the ungodliness in the world and God's reaction to it. Uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Let me... Uh, People will ask, well, okay, well, what, what's ungodliness? What, what's unrighteousness? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That, they, uh, there's a mentality nowadays that says that morality is relative. And I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. Because let me tell you what, morality is not relative. Maybe in Hollywood it is. Maybe in a Hollywood movie it is. But morality itself is determined by God, and it is revealed by God's holy word. That is morality. Now, the morality in this world, uh, th this word that I hold in my hand, this Bible that I hold in my hand, is not just meant for the Jews, but it's meant for the Gentiles as well. It's meant for every single nation, tribe, and tongue. It's meant for red, yellow, black, and white. There is no difference in his sight. It's meant for everybody. This isn't just a Middle Eastern thing. It's not just an American thing. It's a Chinese thing. It's a European thing. This is meant for everybody. This is the standard of morality. Because that which may be known of God is manifested them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You realize we can, we as a human being, we can fully interpret what God wants us to do. We're able to interpret that. We have the tools to do it with, so we have no excuse not to do it. We have the Bible. We have what God has revealed to us. We have no excuse not to follow his word. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There are many Christians today, it's sad to say Christians, but it is the case, where we know God, but we don't glorify him as God. We just act as if he's an old man sitting in a rocking chair that doesn't know any better. We just act as if he's nothing that became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And we spend more of our time uh, dealing with things in the world, and we spend more of our time following the world than we do in the Word of God. And we remove God from the pedestal that He belongs, that He deserves to have in our hearts, and we put something else in its place, and we we keep we take God out of His position, professing themselves to be wise. They became as fools. There are many so-called pastors. There are many so-called Christians. Oh, they'll say they're Christians. But they get so wise, and they think they're so smart doctrinally. 
and they they can read Greek backwards and forwards. But they're but they're fools because they don't worship God because they have something else in place. Now, it's sad to see many people that will say, "Well, that's not what the Bible means." Well, that's not what the Bible means. Ah, they're professing themselves to be wise. They became as fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. What you're seeing today in today's society by saying that, you know, God loves everybody and God is just, uh, God is, uh, God is just love. There was one TV show I remember a couple years back that had God... Uh, it portrayed God as a homosexual. It portrayed God as a homosexual. And that's what... You're removing God from his position. You're removing God from being God. You're, you are no better than the ancient Greeks in that you're making God no better than man. Because mankind, especially sin, sinful mankind, we're all sinners... We cannot fully comprehend until we understand until you understand that you are a sinner on your way to hell. Until you understand your place, you cannot understand God's place. Until you understand you're on your way to hell, you cannot understand that God is God. He is no sin. He is spotless and he is the creator, that he is in that position. You cannot understand that until you understand where you are. And that's where the whole world is. That's why we have Hollywood misrepresenting God. Because let me tell you what, if they fully represented God, then then a lot of Hollywood would not be around. If, most pa- if these uh, pastors uh, that are uh, going full into this ungodly music and ungodly ways, these compromising pastors, if they understood, if they would fully understand what God was, then they wouldn't be doing what they were doing. But we see that that is, and we'll see in the last part of chapter 1, that this is the result. This is the cause. Okay, this is the cause. The Christians, the world... We're removing God from the throne. We, this is the cause of ungodliness. We, uh, it all starts with failing to see God in his place. Failing to recognize to see God in his place. Because what we'll see, the world doesn't want God in his place. Because if the, God is in his place, if God is, in, is the head of everything, then they have to listen to what God says. And all of a sudden, there's somebody controlling them. The world doesn't want control. You can turn on the news nowadays and see all these crazy people marching in the streets, being pro-abortion, saying all they want to do is murder children. Uh, They don't recognize God. They don't recognize God. Because if they did recognize God, they'd understand understand that that's wrong, that they're doing nothing but murder, and that God is against that, and they'll have to pay for that one day. They don't recognize God. I, I saw an article the other day that said that God was pro-choice. Let me tell you what, and that was a so-called Christian making that argument. Uh, let me tell you what, they're not, I, I can't say anything about their salvation, uh, salvation, but I highly doubt they're saved. Because now you're, you're looking at God through your own twisted, dirty lenses 
of morality. You're looking at God through your own sense of morality. When it should be the other way around, and you should use the Bible, you should use the Bible that God has given us, God's holy word, and look through that lens of morality to look at yourself. We're twisting, we're twisting God. We're making him into something that, that he's not. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. All of this, all of this, uh, taking God off the throne or the attempt, because mankind will never be able to take God off the throne, but the attempt at taking him off the throne, the attempt to reinterpret Scripture, the attempt to reinterpret God himself, is because it boils down to the fact that we want to worship man. We want to worship man. So the preacher that was saying, well, God was pro-choice, let me tell you what, let me tell you, uh, tell you, that preacher does not worship God. The preacher that would say that does not worship God. He's worshiping man. He's worshiping humanism. That's what he's doing. And you're using God as an ex as a, an excuse, as a reason to worship man further. That's what's going on here. Mankind has always wanted to worship itself. Think about it. We are, from a fleshly humanist perspective, we are masters of this world. We're masters. Uh, very few things happen on this world without our say-so. Nature will happen. Um, but we can do just about anything we want. So mankind wants to think, well, since we're masters of this world, we're gods. We're gods. Yeah. Couldn't be farther from the, uh, from the truth. We're stewards of this world. We are. But we're still under control of an almighty God. We're still under control of an almighty God. This, uh, this, is, this is the cause of, un of ungodliness. We're seeing this, that mankind wants to worship himself, so he's going to take down God from the throne, he's going to take God from the position in his life, and he's going to remove him. You can see that in society today. That's what society has is doing and has done. We have removed God from the throne, and so begins the next part of the chapter, the results of ungodliness. And we see that in verses 26 through 32. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. By the way, right there it's talking about homosexuality and all kinds of other ungodliness, but homosexuality is in that verse. So if somebody tells you that homosexuality is not in the Bible, there you go, there's an excuse right there. And I could point you to at least 30 other verses where it's in the Bible. Like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. There you go, there's another verse right there. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, 
being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. It's amazing how... It's always amazing to me that you know, you would think of disobedient to parents as not to be a big deal, but Paul lists disobedience to parents with all the... I mean, it's in the same category as murder. Okay, it's in the same category as murder. Huh. That should show you how God feels about being disobedient to parents. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. There's another verse about homosexuality. Implacable, unmerciful. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We see, starting in verse 26, the result of removing God from the throne and the result of saying, well, no, we don't want God to control our lives, is that God gives you over to that. It reminds me of back in uh, the Old Testament when Samuel was confronted by the children of Israel. The children of Israel had seen the other kingdoms of the world with their king and said, you know what, we want a king. We We want an earthly king. At the time, they were a monotheistic nation, which means that they were underneath God and God alone, and they were the only one in history to have that title, and that's how God wanted things. But they decided they didn't want God to be in control anymore. They wanted a king. They wanted a king just so they can be like everyone else. And what did God do? God told Samuel, hey, they haven't rejected you. They rejected me, buddy. And so he gave them the king. He gave them over to that. There comes a time, there comes a time where God says enough is enough. There comes a time when God will just hand you over to the sin. When you become so hard that you refuse God so many times in your life that God says, you know what? I'm done with you. Now, that doesn't mean salvation is closed off to you. No, that doesn't mean that at all. But that just means it's a little harder now. You want you want the sin in the world? You got it, buddy. Go go do uh, go do your thing. There comes a time when God just says enough is enough. Enough. And that's what's going on here. As this is the result of removing God from the throne that God turns you over to the sin and this wickedness. What are we seeing in, re- in society and in general today? We're seeing a result of removing God from the throne in our own personal lives. We're seeing that we're being turned over to this stuff. Uh, uh, let me tell you what, even 10 years ago, yes, the homosexuality was a, was a thing, it was annoying. I did not think it would ever be this bad. To the point that transgenderism is now the huge thing. It's it's ten times worse than it was even ten years ago. These drag queens everywhere. It's sin. It's abominable. It's, it's worse now. No one could have imagined that it would be this bad ten years ago. And yet here we are. 
And the reasoning behind that is because we took, we decided we didn't want God to tell us what to do. And so we took God off the throne, and God said, okay, I'm turning you over. You want sin? You want this stuff? Here you go. Here you go. This speaks volumes to our culture, and not just here in the States. This is everywhere. This is all across the world. This is going on. This speaks volumes to the culture, to everything going on currently in modern-day society. And it all starts because we remove God from from the throne in our hearts. We... We want to sit on that throne. We look at that throne and say, and act just like the devil and say, you know what, I can do a better job than God. And we want to sit on that throne instead of him. Uh, little do we know that in our foolishness and in our pride, we're not understanding that there is no actual way to remove God from that throne. You could just turn away and ignore him, but God is still going to sit on that throne no matter what you try and do. There's nothing you can do to remove God from that throne. But when you turn away, and you turn away from God, and you turn away from what He He wants you to do, from His from His law, from His love, when you turn away from that, you're going to get what you want. You're going to get the results of ungodliness. You're going to get the results of sin in, in your life. You're going to get the results of sin in society. You want that stuff? Here you go. Here you go. This is what happens when you create a society that is built upon man's sense of morality. When you build a society based on God's sense of morality, that's when you have prosperity. That's when you have peace, prosperity, joy. But when you try and change that, when you try and remove God from that equation... You don't have peace and prosperity. They're touting that this is one of the biggest times of equality in human history. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because equality, you're you're making it sound as if, as if sin is just as if this sin is normal, as if the sin is right. These transgender folks they'll say, "Well, well, I I was, uh, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. I'm a woman trapped in a man's body." No, you're not. That's sin. That's sin. In fact, honestly, that's one of the highest forms of sin because to be saved, it requires it, the number one step. I was always told in Bible college and throughout and throughout uh, Christian school, and I've always been told from preachers that in order to get anyone saved, to lead anyone to Christ, you got to get them lost first. And for a person to understand that they're lost, they have to understand that they're a sinner. They have to understand who and what they really are. If you can't understand that, if you can't even understand your gender, you're not going to understand that you're a sinner. If you can't understand that, you're not going to get saved. You're not going to go to heaven when you die. All of this is a result of removing God from the throne and turning our eyes to ungodliness. 
Here in this chapter, we see the cause and results of ungodliness. Really hits you, really, really hits you hard. This was written thousands of years ago, and yet speaks volumes of modern day society. Speaks volumes. Well, that's about all the time we have today. We've started our Bible study into the book of Romans, just ended with chapter 1. Thank you for listening today. Uh, Join us again next week. I'm very excited about next week, chapter 2. I love the book of Romans. I love going through this, and I love studying it. And uh, join us again next week as we get to go into chapter 2 of the book of Romans and see what God has for us. It's going to be very interesting. Um, We're going to see, I guess you can say, the result of the result of ungodliness. We're going to see what ungodliness leads to. We're going to see what it leads to, and it starts off in chapter 2. And um, it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. But hey, we, we have to know. We have to know this so that we can avoid it. But thank you for joining us again today on Lati Talks. If you, uh, if God spoke to your heart on this today, if you liked what you heard, I ask you to share this on social media. Um, we've actually seen a large uptick in people that have been listening and joining us on Lati Talks on Mondays and Wednesdays. Been a very great blessing. We started reaching countries. I, I looked the other day and we started reaching countries that I would never that neither of us, Rebecca or I, would ever have expected to reach. And all because the Lord's using it to help reach them. People have been saved. People have been uh, people have been listening. And it's been absolutely great to see what God's been doing. So we just, we want to we wanna grow. We want to see what God can do with it further. So thank you again for joining us today for another episode of Lati Talks. Lati Talks, God bless you all, and have a great day.